there's few things that we need to do when we gather more important than lifting up the name of our God. That many-faceted, majestic name that is supreme, it's potent. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we come under your name today. We savor your name. Lord, we thank you for the way the team stretched out our time to just sit under the glory and splendor, the dominion, the power, the majesty, the wonder, the healing, the delivering, the revealing of your name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, activate the power, the effectiveness of your name among us here this morning. Reveal more and more and more about your name as we gather here this morning. And Lord, every day, tomorrow morning, when we get out of bed, Lord, manifest your name to us. More of your name, Lord. Reveal more of your presence, more of your glory. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord this morning. We praise you, Jesus. We exalt your name. We glory in your name. Hallelujah. We bless, we bless, we bless, we bless the name of the Lord. We exalt the name of our God. We exalt your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you all. Praise God. Wasn't it great to have a full team this morning? Thank you for digging deep. Praise God. So powerful. Well, we come to the Word of God. Uh, We're looking at the last book of the Bible, which really is the final word on all kinds of things. It's the final word on the church, the final word on worship, the final word on prayer, uh, the final word on history. And as we're going to see this morning, the final word on Jesus Christ. Christ is revealed finally uh, in this powerful, unique book of Revelation. Uh, It begins the revelation of Jesus Christ, and clearly that's what it is. He's the one doing the revealing. He's the one that is being revealed. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this chapter, chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, is a remarkable beginning of revelation. We see Christ uniquely here in these words. And we're going to look at it. In fact, there are really seven aspects of Christ that are revealed in these verses this morning. But this is not the only revelation of Christ in the book, the Revelation. In fact, you might know that there are a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. And go ahead and and realize that seven different times we see Christ being revealed in the book. And I want to walk us through these as we begin this morning. The first is the first chapter, and it is really like an overture. It's it's the the beginning, a fitting beginning. We're introduced to this magnificent picture of Christ. But that's only the first. The second is in chapter 5. And if you've got your journals... um, it's, it's in your journal, page 22. It's Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. There's a little bit of a, a, a crisis in heaven in Revelation chapter 5 because the scroll that contains the final events of history is being uh, 
open. But no one is found worthy to open the scroll and to pop open the seals of the scroll. And John is so traumatized that he weeps. But then, this is the second vision of Jesus, up comes Jesus looking like a lamb who was slain, and he now is worthy to take the scroll, and it's a picture of Christ who is victorious over history. Christ is the one who will unfold the final events of history. Now, this ought to bring good news to every one of us. Some of us think the world is spinning out of control. Uh, if you watch whatever your news feed is, uh, you may be led to believe that, that, uh, that everything's going to chaos. Well, it's not. Let me, let me just assure you of that. The fact of the matter is Christ is on the throne and he has the scroll and he's the one who's presiding over, over the flow of, of human history, even in our own day. But that's the second picture. The third is page 41 in your uh, black uh, Revelation journal. It's Revelation 12. Now here we see a bunch of crisis that's happening in the world, but we see Christ victorious over it all. And again, it's, it's, it's not only that the, the second picture is Christ has authority over history, but the third picture is Christ is victorious over history. Christ has the victory over all the, the, the horrible things that are going to happen as history winds down. Christ has authority over it all. The fourth picture is Revelation 14, page 50 in your journals. And this is the picture of Christ the Savior. He comes and we see Christ. He's, he's dressed in, in red, a scarlet, crimson representing the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Christ. And, and all those that he's leading are uh, this massive throng of people dressed in white because they've been purified, they've been saved, uh, but Christ is seen as the Savior among them all. The fifth picture is also Revelation 14, verse 14, page 52 in your journal, and this is a picture of Christ the judge. Now, isn't it something in Revelation 14, 1, we see Christ the Savior. Revelation 14, 14, a different picture of Jesus, the judge. You'll remember Christ said when he first uh, came, he, he, the scripture says, Jesus said these words. The Son of Man did not come to judge, but to save the world. That's true the first time. The second time, he is going to judge the world. And we see here in Revelation 14, Jesus takes out his sickle to, to reap the earth. And he is going to return as a judge of the nations. The sixth picture is in Revelation 19, verse 16. And this is perhaps the most uh, honorable, exalted picture. It's page 74 in your journal. And it's this triumphant Christ riding on a white horse. His thigh has the words, Word of God. And he's recognized as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and is triumphant, triumphantly returning. The final picture is in Revelation 22, page 84 in your journal. And it's the seventh vision we have of Jesus. And it's of the returning Christ. Christ returning 
to the bride. It's introduced by the words Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. And it's summarized by the words of Jesus, Surely I am coming soon. And in the middle of it is this majestic Christ. So seven times in the book of Revelation do we see a distinct revelation of who Christ is and how he will yet appear in these final days of history. So don't think that there's just one revelation of Christ and it's chapter one and once you read that, then you don't see Jesus again. No, Jesus is in the first chapter of Revelation. He's revealed again in the last chapter of Revelation and five times in between, there's, there's another facet of the beautiful return and revelation of Christ. This is the book that reveals Christ. Now, as you begin and as we begin our study, we're going to be all fall in the book of Revelation. I want to give you certain keys to look for as you are reading on your own, the book of Revelation. And I want to encourage you to put these somewhere in the front of your journal and use these keys as you read through the journal. The first is B, the letter B. And next to that, put blessing. And as you know from last week, there are seven blessings in the book of Revelation. I, think, I want to encourage you to mark them all. Maybe you did last week. If you didn't, then as you read through the book of Revelation, put a B in the margin every time you come to blessing. B. B for blessing. The second is the number seven. Just write a seven. All the sevens in, in the book of Revelation. There are uh, more than a dozen of them. Seven churches, seven angels, seven lampstands, uh, seven eyes of God, seven spirits of God, seven trumpets, seven seals, seven bowls, seven plagues, seven horns, and um, all these seven, seven, seven. Mark them. Put a seven and mark it uh, when you come across a seven. It'll help you interact as you're reading. The second, uh, the next uh, code is OC. OC. OC stands for Overcoming Church. 16 times in the book of Revelation, the word overcomer is used. And every time you come to it, you want to mark it, OC. Overcome or conquer, same word, just a different translation. It's a synonym to conquer, to overcome, because God wants, and this is the picture of the church in the Revelation, is it's an overcoming church, it's a conquering church. And God wants you to understand God has destined you and he's destined us corporately to be an overcoming church. Uh, the next code is PC. PC. Now, now, don't worry, it's not political correctness. In fact, we crush that in Jesus' name. Uh, PC stands for persecuted church. It's amazing how many times we come across the persecuted church in the book of the Revelation. Frankly, this is one of um, my missions in life is to wake up the church to the reality that the church around the world is being persecuted. About 80% of our brothers and sisters around the world are being severely, severely persecuted, not for skin color, uh, not for other things. The only reason is because they're followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, sooner or later, we're going to all be in, in that number. I think we realize that. And so it's, it's time for us to wake up to the fact that there is a persecuted church. And the sooner we link ourselves with that, uh, the, the faster we can come along into maturity. And it's all over the book of Revelation. So PC, persecuted church. The last one is 2C. 
The number two in C, and what that stands for is second coming. I write that down as a code. And whenever you come in, the, in your reading of the book of the Revelation, write down 2C in the margin every time you see the second coming being mentioned or referred to. Six times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. In one way or another, he says, I'm coming soon. Um, and we want to be prepared. That's part of the, the reason we're doing this study is to ready us as followers of Christ to be ready for the return of Christ. And uh, marking 2C for the second coming of Christ in the margin of uh, this book will help us get an eye for it. It'll help us develop a mindset that is getting ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, we begin this morning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John, our brother and partner in the tribulation. Okay, now when you read the word tribulation, what code are you going to put in the margin? Tribulation, PC. Not political correctness, that's persecuted church. Tribulation is the persecuted church. So you can put that in the margin next to uh, verse 9. PC, that, there it is, the persecuted church. John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, let me explain that. Patmos was like the first century Alcatraz. They called Alcatraz the rock, and it's where they sent criminals. John was sent to the rock, only it wasn't Alcatraz, it was Patmos. It wasn't off the, the coast of, of California. Patmos is off the coast of Greece. It's on the west side of the Aegean Sea, and John was now a political prisoner of Rome, put on the rock because he, he'd been talking about Jesus. And that was a crime in the Roman Empire. So Rome uh, put him in the worst possible place, all in isolation, on a rock all by himself in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Now across the Aegean Sea, on the, on the east side, you come to modern-day Turkey. On the west coast of Turkey, sticking out into the Aegean Sea, were seven cities that formed a semicircle. The first of the cities was Ephesus. The seventh of the cities was Laodicea. The Roman road connected all seven. In every one of those seven cities, there was a church. John was the pastor of those seven churches. He appointed leaders, like understudies, in each place, but he was the pastor. So now he, he was taken prisoner from the one side of the GNC, put in on a rock on the other side of the GNC, cut off from his, his church that he was pastoring. So that's the situation. Now listen to this. So he's on the island of Patmos, but then verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John, who, 
who, who thought, man, my ministry is done. I've got nothing left to do. Rome took away my ministry. Well, here, God gave it back to him. You're not there physically, but you're going to write a book, and you're going to write everything I tell you, and you're going to send it to those seven churches. This is Jesus talking to him. So now, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now just stop right there. This is Jesus speaking. He turns to see the voice of, of the person speaking to him. But when he turned, he doesn't see Jesus first. What he sees are seven golden lampstands. Now, we learn later before this chapter is done, just a few verses later, that the seven lampstands, the word lampstand, by the way, it means flame holder. It's the Greek word luxnos. It's an individual piece of furniture which, strangely enough, looks just about like this. Only the, the only difference is on top, instead of having a flat wood top, it had a, a lever, a, a bowl, a metal bowl filled with oil. And that was a luxnos. Now, there were seven of these. My point is, these are not, this is not a, a Jewish menorah. This is not a candles abra with, with seven candles. These are seven distinct pieces of furniture, each designed for only one purpose. You didn't sit on it. They weren't made for a decoration. It was a functional use to give light to the house, to the neighborhood. It was, that was the purpose. And this is the picture in the book of Revelation of the church. The church exists today to hold the oil of the Holy Spirit and the flame of the manifest presence of Christ. That's what the church is today. We're going to look at this more closely in two weeks from today when we get into Revelation 2 and 3, and we're going to see how every church is seen as, as a flame holder. But notice, before we get to that, and before we even get to Jesus, notice the inseparable connection here in Revelation between Jesus and the church. He's the one speaking. He's the one that, that's, that's going to reveal himself. But he's, he's, he is right now walking in the middle and all around the flame holders of the churches. Yes. This shows the inseparable union Christ has today between us as the church and himself as the savior and leader of the church. Hallelujah. This is a profound picture. So before, really, this picture of Jesus, we're introduced to Jesus by being introduced to the church, and when, when we're done being introduced to Jesus, then we come back to the church. So this passage starts with the church and ends with the church. And in the middle of the church is Jesus. Now, we come to Jesus. This is so awesome. So, and in, in the midst of these flame holders, one like a son of man. 
Now this picture of a son of man, it comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel called uh, Christ the son of man. It's elsewhere in the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and he himself identifies himself, referring to himself indirectly. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus frequently described himself as the son of man. And here we have it again. The son of man, one like the son of man. But look at his clothing, his clothing. He's, he's clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Now, this is page 8 in your book. Put in the margin in your book, Exodus 29. When you read Exodus 29, it's almost an exact description of this long robe and a golden sash. And what it's describing is the high priest. The high priest of Israel was to wear a long robe with a golden sash. It's almost like the same words. And that's what we see in Jesus. So we're introduced to his clothing, and clothing represents a, a position. You, you, in, you see a military guy, oh, you know you're in the military. Coast Guard, they wear their clothes. A cop, they wear theirs. State trooper, they have their own set of clothes. You, you see the clothes, you know the role, the function that they fulfill. Here, we see the clothes of a priest. We know what Jesus' role is. Now, a priest is a bridge. A priest is a bridge between people and God. It's, it's the priest who represents the people to God. And, and so it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is, is a high priest and that he lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus is constantly talking to the Father about us. 1 John chapter 2 refers to Jesus as the advocate, the defense attorney, defending us to the Father. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 5 talks about Jesus being the mediator. There is one God and one man between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the mediator, the bridge to represent us to God. But at the same time, the priest had a role of being a prophet that is representing God to the people. And so here, this Jesus wearing this robe and the golden sash, looking like a priest, he's also a prophet who represents God to the people. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. So continuously, Jesus today is showing us the Father and he's representing us to the Father. Hallelujah. That's the picture. Now, from here, now that we're introduced to Jesus' role today as high priest on behalf of the church, the bridge between us and the Father, now that we've got that, we see seven distinct parts of Jesus' body. Seven. And it starts with the head, number one. Verse 14, uh, his, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Th this, the, the white hair represents purity and wisdom. Jesus is pure and he's purifying. He is wise and wisdom giving. That's the white hair. Now, some of us dye our hair. I made up my mind a long time ago. I wouldn't mess with that. Uh, it's definitely not my style. But then I read in the book of Proverbs that, that white hair is the crown of the aging. Amen. Hallelujah. Why would I want to mess up my crown? 
I'm not going to mess up my crown. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy my crown. For a long time, every time I go to the barber, it's like he put more white tint in my hair. I couldn't understand that. I thought, what's going on with it? Every time I got my hair cut, it got whiter. And then I thought, well, praise God. I, it's a picture of purity and wisdom, and Jesus has white hair today, so I'm going to enjoy it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's the head. Then the eyes. Look at verse 14. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, I love this one. What it means is his eyes are penetrating and discerning. You may want to, to maintain a superficial relationship with him, but he is not interested in maintaining a superficial relationship with you. You and I have a default, and our default is superficial. We like cruising along superficially. Hey, how are you doing? Fine, fine. Yeah, did you see the Canes won last night? Did they win last night? Oh, beautiful. Okay. And, uh, oh, do you hear the Big Ten? And, and oh, you know, we talk weather sports, and, and that, we like superficial. Jesus doesn't mess with superficial. Jesus likes going deep. Jesus didn't die for you to maintain a superficial relationship. He died for you to go deep with you. And he has eyes like flames of fire. They penetrate. Long before MRIs or even x-rays, there was Jesus' eyes that see, that see underneath yourself. The man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. You and I dance around with God. God's, God's not about being a dance partner with our foolishness. He, he wants to go deep. He wants to, go, he, he wants to take you deeper. I promise you. And it starts with him knowing you. And, and you being known by God should not lead you to run away from him. It ought to lead you to run toward him. Well, praise God, he wants to get to know me. He wants to know me truly for who I am, past the mass, past the smoke and mirrors. He wants to get to know me so that I can know and accept myself for who I am. Hallelujah. It's his eyes. The third are the feet. Now notice, it's his feet are like bronze purified in the furnace. Now let me define bronze. Bronze is made up of two metals, iron and copper. Iron is strong, the strongest of the metals, but it tarnishes and rusts. Copper, on the other hand, is soft, but it does not rust or tarnish. You put copper and iron together, and guess what you get? Bronze. It's the perfect, and uh, you know that bronze is usually used in statues that are intended to last a while. It's the perfect durable metal. And so here, Jesus' feet, the picture of feet is authority. And Christ's feet are bronze, indicating that he brings an everlasting kingdom. Hallelujah. His kingdom is without end. When Christ puts his foot down, it kind of settles the matter. And it says today, um, Psalm 110, verse 1, that uh, the Lord 
said to my Lord, that's the Father said to the Son, have a seat right here at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. All the enemies are becoming a footstool for Jesus. Hallelujah. Because his feet are made of bronze. Beautiful. What a picture. Now we come to the fourth. This is the middle of the seven descriptions of Jesus. And it's not of a physical part of his body, but it's an essential uh, part of his person. And it's his voice. The fourth feature here is the voice of Jesus. And it says his voice was like many waters. The, the casual reader will think, oh, it's like a babbling brook, like a, a stream. No, there were no streams on Patmos. A rock doesn't have streams. There was no streams. What, what a rock has, especially in the middle of the Aegean Sea, is waves. Waves are breaking up on, on the shore of Patmos all the time. That's the many waters. His, God's voice, the voice of Jesus, is like the constant, never-ending waves that come up on the beach. Sometimes they're soothing. Sometimes they're crushing and overwhelming. That's the voice of Jesus, constantly coming. And notice of the seven, this one's the one in the middle because it's the most dominant. Jesus is the word of God, and his word keeps coming. This book begins with the voice of God. Let there be light. And every day God spoke and, and spoke things into being. Jesus continues to speak, speak, speak. He's speaking, speaking, speaking. He's constantly speaking. He, he, he never stops speaking. And, and praise God for that. No matter how slow you are to believe, no, no matter how slow you are to get it, to understand, he doesn't mind repeating himself. Jesus, is, his voice is like many waters. Hallelujah. Number five, his right hand. His right hand holds these balls of fire. The right hand is the hand of favor. It's the hand of action. And it's the hand of activation. He has authority. He has favor. He acts with his hand. And he activates with his hand. His hand is holding the leaders of the church. Some say heavenly appointed leaders, which are angels, or human-appointed leaders, which would be people. You can figure that out. Uh, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But his hand has the leaders of the church, and it's the hand of activation. He activates and gives favor to his leaders. Number six is the mouth. This is so powerful. Out of his mouth comes a sharp, double-edged sword. What a picture. Obviously, this goes, points to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharpening any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of joint and marrow, and laying everything in all creation bare before the eyes of him to whom we give an account. That's the sharp double-edged sword. What this, this, this picture is, is that there's coming a day when that sharp sword from the mouth of Jesus will settle the matter of every injustice on earth, all oppression, all racism, all injustice will be set right 
by the double-edged sword of Jesus. And this is ultimately portrayed um, because we're going to come to this in our study, but there are two beasts that we'll be introduced to. One is a political leader and one is a religious leader. A beast is a, uh, it's kind of a derogatory name for a person who um, is, is uh, unkind. Uh, a person's a beast. Well, that, that's what this, uh, these two leaders, one will be the Antichrist and one will be the empowerer of the Antichrist. We'll get to them. Now, did you realize that Christians will not form an army to defeat the Antichrist or the empower of the Antichrist. Did you realize that when Jesus comes, he's not going to um, handcuff them? He's not going to send a tomahawk missile to take them out? Did you know that when Jesus comes, he's going to kill them just by his words? I, I picture him even sitting down. I don't even think he's going to stand up for these guys. He's just going to, he's going to be sitting there and turn and say, they're, they're going to, they're, however he's going to confront them. But it says he's going to knock them dead with the word. His word out of his mouth, that two-edged sword a double-edged sword, one will whack one of them, cut them going the other way, I'll take care of the other one. Hallelujah. 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 These, these ultimate oppressors of humanity, these two beasts will be taken care of by the word of Jesus Christ, the sword of his mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the seventh and final aspect of Jesus, uh, I'm so glad it's... Kept for last, verse 16, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Hallelujah. His face is like the sun shining in its full strength. This is the revelation of Jesus. Now, this is what we're all about. This is the church gets the inside scoop of the face of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. The face of Jesus shines on the church. Numbers chapter 6 gave it to the Old Testament leaders to say, and it's that much more for us today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's what this is talking about. The face of God in Christ is shining today. His face is shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. Or Psalm 67, verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Hallelujah. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Hallelujah. That's the seventh and final. This is what it all comes down to. Jesus shining his face on his people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now quickly, the response of John. He fell at his face on his face like a dead man. I want you just to look at that. Fell on his face like a dead man. This is totally surprising. John knew Jesus, it's fair to say, better than anyone else. 
He was the beloved disciple on the last night of Jesus' life before he was crucified. He, he, he ate dinner right at Jesus' elbow. He put his head on Jesus' chest uh, during the Passover meal. When, he, when Jesus went to the cross, it's, he's the only disciple mentioned at the foot of the cross was, was John. And he was put in charge. Jesus put him in charge of taking care of his mother, Mary. Uh, Jesus told John, take care of this woman from the cross. Who do you put in charge of your mother when you're about to die? Your best friend. That was John. But now John, who knew Jesus as well or better than anyone on earth, now that he sees Jesus, he falls on his face like a dead man. What's going on? Now listen, it's because... With all that we have of Jesus in the Gospels, from the birth, the one uh, who was baptized, the, the one who did all the teaching, walked on water, broke bread, fed 5,000 people with a little kid's lunchbox, and, and all the miracles, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead. This Jesus, known throughout his life by John, this Jesus today is so superior in appearance that it was overwhelming to John to the point where John couldn't even speak. He was like comatose, paralyzed on his face now that he has this revelation of the way Jesus is today. And oh, that we today could get that vision of Jesus. That's why we have the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's why this book is so timely for us that we might see who Jesus is today. And then, with John on his face, Jesus comes down to John and puts his hand, his right hand with the, that had been holding the balls of fire, puts that on John. I love that. Oh, yeah. Woo! His right hand. Yeah. The hand of favor, the hand of activation. Puts it on John. And first he ministered to John. He says, fear not. Now, whenever God tells you, fear not, in order for that to be possible, he has to reveal himself to you. Yeah. So then the next thing Jesus says, fear not. Listen, I am... I am. Whenever God says I am, you want to pay close attention. I am the first and the last. I was dead. Now I'm alive forever. And I love the last part. And I hold the keys. I want you to hear Jesus tell you, I hold the keys. You got some locked doors around you? You got some impossible situations? Guess who's got the keys? Now, John's in prison. He's a prisoner. If God shows up, there's no better news for a prisoner than to hear that 
His master's got the keys. Caesar doesn't have the keys. I got the keys. So powerful. And then this right hand of activation gives John an assignment. Rome got you out of commission, but I'm recommissioning you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Write what I'm showing you. Write it down. And send it to the seven churches. My friend, God's not done with you. You might have felt like you've been on an island all by yourself, cut off from the land of the living, as if your better days are behind you. You spend a lot of time in regret looking back. All it takes is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He'll get you back in the game. You're one revelation away from glory. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me right now, please? I think we've had a good study this morning. It's only the beginning. We're up and running. But I want to take a moment, and I hope you received a communion cup if you intend to take communion. If not, get your hand up. Somebody will bring one to you. You can take it yourself. No one's touched these. These have never been touched by human hands. But before we open this, just be patient. I want to, to, I want us to say yes to his revelation to us this morning. I want us to say yes to God showing us the head of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, the feet, the voice, the hand, the mouth, the face. We want to say yes, Lord, reveal yourself. Reveal to me. Let's activate this. Would you pray this prayer with me? Pray it out loud if this is your heart's desire. Father God, show me the head of Jesus. The pure head and the purifying head. The head of wisdom and wisdom giving. Show me the head of Jesus. Show me the eyes of Jesus. The penetrating, the discerning eyes of Jesus. Reveal them to me. I welcome the eyes of Jesus. Reveal to me the feet of Jesus. I, I want to kneel at the authority of Jesus. Take dominion over my life with the feet of Jesus. Reveal to me the, the voice of Jesus. That I might hear the many waters the repeating words of Jesus. Reveal to me the hand of Jesus. Stretch forth on me now the hand of Jesus. Activate my calling in Jesus' name. Reveal to me the mouth of Jesus, the double-edged sword. Bring conviction. Take authority. Cleanse. Penetrate my life with your words and reveal to me the face of Jesus. More and more, Lord, more and more every day, 
May your face shine upon me. In Jesus' name.